your child needs to know that you delight in them. They desperately need to know that you delight in them. But equally so, you need to feel that delight because that's what's going to help you. Welcome to His Hands, His Feet podcast. I'm your host, Kenneth Camp. You just heard a clip of an interview with Julie Corey, and I interview both Julie and her husband, Matt, about their adoption story, and, and I'm looking forward to you getting to hear that in just a moment. You know, the purpose of this podcast is to encourage and equip, even compel you to live a life on mission. And I believe, especially those who are Christ followers, who are believers in Jesus Christ, that we are all called to have a role, a purpose in caring for children who are at risk, vulnerable, uh, as Dr. Karen Purvis coined the phrase, come from a hard place, even children who are orphaned, meaning that they do not have a parent or family to take care of them. We have a purpose in that. We have a role in that mission. And so as you listen to this podcast interview, I hope that that you will be asking God, what is your role if you're not already playing a role in that purpose that he has for us? You know, that's what I do with this podcast is that I interview people uh, from all kinds of ways of life, different kinds of mission that they're involved in, hoping that it will encourage you and compel you to find out if you don't know already what God's purpose is for you. So with that, let's join the conversation with Matt and Julie. Well, Matt and Julie, thank you for taking time to uh, sit down with me and uh, just talk a little bit about mm-hmm. who you guys are and who your family is. Um, you know, a lot of people know y'all, I think, especially in this area here in Austin and throughout Texas and stuff, but maybe a lot don't know your story. And so that's what we're going to dive into. So thanks for being willing to do that. You're welcome. Yeah, looking forward to it. So uh, let's just start off by giving us a description of your family. All right, so the, there, there's us and three others and a dog. Um, sometimes I think the dog is uh, more of a child than not, but um, so we have three children. Uh, all three of our kids came to us through adoption, and uh, so we have a 12-year-old son named uh, West who's adopted from Russia, a 10-year-old son named Creed who's also adopted from Russia, but they're not biologically related and a six-year-old daughter adopted from Ethiopia. And they are wonderful kids. They all came home to us at about 18, 19 months old. So any questions about how to take care of kids younger than 18 months, <laughs> we really can't answer those questions. Uh, but, uh, but, yeah, that's that's us, the five of us, and Huckleberry. Huckleberry Trout. Huckleberry, Trout. yeah. Huckleberry Trout. Right. Nice name. So obviously you have a multicultural, multiracial family. Just kind of thinking about that, what's, what's that like for you guys? I think I've jumped down on a yeah, question here, but we'll just go ahead and get into that. You know, it is, uh, it's, it's wonderful, and it's also very eye-opening. I think we've, getting, we've gotten to see um, different ways of the world in a time that probably most people don't get to. Um, you know, it's, it's great because of the way we've seen our kids grow and interact with others because they've had the experience of interacting with themselves at home and family. You know, I just think about the time my, my daughter came home and she was, um, she'd been picked on by a little boy and she was mad and upset and she said, um, well, my older brother will protect me. And his, her older brother came running over there and said, well, next time you make sure and let me know who it is and I'll punch him in the nose. <laughs> and from a brother's look at it from a black and white perspective mm-hmm. and just see, you know, that relationship that they're building between each other is a relationship that will transfer outside of our home too, right. and I appreciated I appreciate those moments that we get to see that grow 
and it's really been two sets of stories, right? Our Russian mm-hmm. boys, they don't look a lot like us, but they're white like us, and so we didn't have a lot of questions asked about them. Uh, in fact, we really, our approach to that was really kind of letting them own their own stories. Mm-hmm. And when we were finding ourselves in situations with friends or acquaintances out and about with them, and somehow adoption came up, uh, we didn't sort of jump into, well, you know, this one's from Russia and he's from Russia. And mm-hmm. uh, we kind of let them talk about it. The Olympics, you know, mm-hmm. they equally pull for the Americans and the Russians, and that's okay. Um, it's down adoption mm-hmm. uh, and, you know, moving more toward what feels like kind of more of a dictatorship, um, adversarial relationship with the U.S. than even was the case when we brought them home. Um, so we, you know, sometimes we have a little trouble balancing that and wanting them to be proud of their heritage but also wanting them to be aware that there are a lot of things going on in Russia that are not good and so we navigate that somewhat Mm. carefully but most people wouldn't know that they're any different. Mm. Recently with with Naya, our daughter, um, she's just gotten to that age where and she's she's always sort of known it and and, and, and that she's different but she's just really, her brain's going right. Why am I the only brown one in my family? Mm Mm-hmm. And we think we have good answers to that, um, or we talk about how special she is and that she was selected by God to be part of our family. And we know that she's going to she's gonna be seen probably as African-American, mm-hmm. which she's really not. She's African, right. uh, but she's also going to be raised as Anglo, you know, in some mm-hmm. way. So who God made her to be. Mm-hmm. And, and what's inside matters. You know, I am quick to say... You know, she asks me, you know, blue, green, whatever. Mm-hmm. My favorite color is brown because you're beautiful and brown. So we, we try to build her up in that sure. way. But we also are quick to tell her, and it doesn't matter what color you are. You mm-hmm. know, what what's matters is who you are on the inside, your heart, your kindness, how smart you are. And um, early on when I was talking about her brown color, and she would early, even at three, she was talking about how she was chocolate. <laughs> and then she would look at me and... Uh, there was one time where she said, "You're, I'm chocolate and you're milk," <laughs> and I I just have to quickly I, I quickly added into it and look what amazing things happen when you put chocolate and milk together. And she <laughs> loves chocolate milk, so mm. we kind of have the, this joke about how wonderful <clears throat> things are when they get mixed up. Chocolate and we we point to our dog a lot because our dog is brown and white, and mm. so we'll talk about how pretty Huckleberry is with two colors like that together. So. It's like there's two layers is what I'm seeing. you got kids who are trying to figure out who come to us through adoption. They're trying to figure out their story regardless where mm-hmm. they came from because, you know, it's like, well, where did I come from? Right. But then also if they look very different on the outside than we do, then that's another layer is what, mm-hmm. I, what I'm sensing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I absolutely think that there are two um, two layers to that, the, the adoption layer and the race layer. And so it's definitely something that you have to walk into knowing that, they are going to be going on two different paths of understanding mm-hmm. and identity. And, um, you know, I, we, we know there's challenges in that, and we know that that complicated her life, and yet the alternative. So um, we definitely see it as a way that, um, you know, ideally that this is a time that those adoptive families who are multicultural, we may be a bridge into more mm-hmm. racial unity, and I don't want it to sound cliche by saying that, but we're kind of a, a mix between right. either side. So mm-hmm. um, it's a neat opportunity to kind of yeah. help our children 
become more sensitive and aware. Definitely. Yeah. Well, I appreciate the way that it sounds like both with your boys coming from Russia and then your daughter from Ethiopia, that you're encouraging them to know their culture, their heritage, mm-hmm. and embrace that. And mm-hmm. I think that's wherever we adopt our children from, it's good for them to know that. Mm-hmm. And we do. Embrace I agree. And we, we need to do more, especially on, well, on both Russia and the Ethiopia front. I mean, we, our favorite food to eat as a family is Ethiopian food. Mm-hmm. and so. Ironically, Naya doesn't like Ethiopian <laughs> she's food. The boys, the boys it up. beg for it, and she's huh. eaten her peanut butter and jelly, which right. I'm embarrassed to tell my <laughs> Ethiopian <laughs> friends Ethiopian that's the case. But. But. And it's great. Austin has a really great kind of Ethiopian population okay. and Ethiopian churches and restaurants mm-hmm. and so we have plugged into some of those and we need to do more especially as she gets older we need to recommit that we're going right. to have more Ethiopian relationships and probably just blend right in fine mm-hmm. you know in our society as Americans uh, and she will too but there's just part of it that is, is obviously harder for her right. we need to do we need to do a better job. We're thrilled when we see another black family walk into our church on Sunday mornings mm-hmm. or black people in the neighborhood mm-hmm. to, you know, make friends with. And we, she goes to a East Austin African ballet mm-hmm. every Saturday. And, and uh, there's some adopted kids there. There's some African-American kids there. There's even some white kids there from time to time. But uh, we, we, we're doing everything we can, but probably need to do more we would encourage families out there mm. to find that balance right I mean obviously we want our identity to be in Christ you know period right. end of sentence but we also know that with kids identity is just such a hard adopted kids identity is just such a hard thing anyway with those two layers that you talked about mm-hmm. yeah so we're talking about international adoption and I just want to take a moment and mm-hmm. speak to that um, you know back when you were adopting your kids it seemed like it was a little bit easier and there's been different things that have gone on do you want to speak to why you think it's become more challenging to adopt internationally um there's a handful of of different countries who have been promoting their own foster care programs in their countries and so they are hopeful that they no longer have to send their kids out to america or to other uh their country of origin and you know certainly that's a great hope and wish um you know it's hard to tell right now if that's being done well right but they're definitely you know i know russia's doing that ethiopia is trying to keep more of their kids fostering and adopting in their own countries right i think Uh, corruption has played an influence on it unfortunately trafficking Uh, (coughs) trafficking and 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 just financial corruption right right i mean we we know the stories personally. In fact, we were sitting in a, a restaurant in Ethiopia on a mission trip, which was kind of what brought us to Ethiopia originally. It was an orphan care mission project through our church. Um, and the waitress, a uh, sweet young woman, you know, ended up talking to us. Her English was pretty good and had a translator and told the story about how she had a young child and needed to move to another community to work mm-hmm. because work is so hard to get in Ethiopia. And she asked her sister to take care of her child temporarily for her. And she went off, and within, I think it was within a couple months, the sister had taken the child to the government. I'm not sure who it was, either the Ethiopian government, child agency, or to an adoption agency, and had basically claimed that the mother had abandoned the child. And mm-hmm. we don't, it was unclear whether, the, whether that woman you know, got paid you know, as part of it or not. We don't know, but here's this mother heartbroken that her kids got sent and she she found out where they went mm-hmm. and she even had a name somehow and was asking us 
when you get back to America, can you please deliver this letter? Or do you think my kids are coming home? Mm-hmm. Is there a way that I can get them back? Right. Broke our hearts to see that mm-hmm. even in a country like Ethiopia, that's generally a good, you know, they're good people, they're family oriented. That whether it's money or other influences, I think have unfortunately corrupted a lot of. Mm-hmm. And I, and I think in those situations, sometimes the level of poverty mm-hmm. is one that we don't know how to work with. Right. I mean, Russia's poor, but their kids are still in orphanages. But the, some of the, the situations of desperation in some of the countries that we've adopted from have changed right. how you go about adopting. Um, you know, where the whole concept of do you, do you bring the child home who's starving because they won't go hungry in your home, or do you help the family and sponsor the family who can then, right. you know, keep the child themselves and, and um, give them food? So, you know, there's there was a complication in some of the countries that I think we were going to that put a big question mark around our um, international adoptions. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are still countries open. I mean, there's Thailand is still open, and, and China, especially their special needs programs. Mm-hmm. Um, South Korea. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's still a handful of working. Um, it's just I do think they're taking a little bit more time right. and attention to make sure that all the proper um, paperwork and relinquishments have been put in place, which is a good thing. It is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it, it's just very complex, right? Probably needs to slow the process down. But then if you're a family on the other mm-hmm. end, mm-hmm. that's hard, right, um, mm-hmm. to go through all that red tape and mm-hmm. you know, bureaucracy and waiting and which kind of leads me to another question is that, of course, I know you guys have, have walked along with a lot of families who are looking at adoption and mm-hmm. foster care. And one of the things that comes up that you all ask a lot and have taught us to ask is, what are your motivations and mm-hmm. expectations? And, mm-hmm. of course, we're not just talking about international adoption. Mm-hmm. You know, these things apply to anyone that's wanting to bring a child into their family, right? Are you willing to talk to what some of y'all's motivations and expectations were? Can you remember those? And then kind of how you've learned from that through the through your journey and mm-hmm. how you've helped other families? Yeah, I think one of our motivations in going to Russia was, and, and really this is how we looked at a lot of countries at the time, and it's, it's actually what we tell families don't pay attention to is how long is it going to take and how much mm-hmm. is it going to cost? Mm-hmm. We were guilty of that to begin with, to look at time and money, and that's one of the things we also caution other families because if... What I have found as just talking with families and seeing how God works in adoption, those are the two things he cares the least about. <laughs> he can add more time to your day, and he just makes money. Mm-hmm. It just, he can just do whatever he wants to with money. So um, those two motivations are oftentimes the ones that we need to put on the bottom of our list, mm-hmm. but they tend to rise to the top. Sure. We can always be wise about it. But that doesn't mean that we are um, fully motivated by those two things. Mm-hmm. And for us, the, the, you know, the initial impetus, I think the, in, the initial impetus for why we have an adoptive family is that God moved in Julie's heart in when she was in middle school. She still remembers hmm. God making it clear to her that someday she would be an adoptive mother. I remember seeing a foster care kid for the first time. I didn't really know what it was, but it was the first time in middle school, and we were in small mm-hmm. town Oklahoma, so those kids just, I'm sure, were probably shipped out to the country somewhere if mm-hmm. we look at what foster trends are now. Um, but I remember there was a foster care kid, and I just remember walking through a hallway. I had gotten a pass. I was going to the bathroom or, you know, 
figured out some way to get out of class. And I remember seeing him in the hallway thinking, what does he do for Christmas? Hmm. Where does he go? Wow. Does he stay home? Does he go back to his biological family? What is he going to do? I don't know why that thought popped into my head, besides that I'm kind of a Christmas fanatic, and <laughs> I guess from early on. Mm-hmm. But that was just a concern for me, as I didn't know. And I still remember early on, when you and I were dating in college, and we started getting a little more serious about talking about potentially mm-hmm. marriage. And uh, I, I still remember you sort of laying the law down, saying, hey, if we're going to do this thing, I'm going to adopt children. And <laughs> Yeah, I don't know where that motivation came from, except that I always kind of like to do something different than everybody else. And so that was different than the, the normal way. So right. maybe that was part of... Because I, I don't know that I knew that much about adoption at the time. Mm-hmm. I just... You knew it was going to be part of I knew story. it was adventurous. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I wanted to do that. I just thought she was hot. So I'd said just, just about anything I needed to say. <laughs> Move the process forward a little bit. So Typical guy, right? I just sort of jumped in yeah. and thought, well, okay, whatever. Yeah, yeah, we're, yeah, we're yeah do that. Sounds good. Check. <laughs> Uh, and then we had infertility challenges that I think was the next kind of trigger for us to move forward. And, you know, really, Julie worked through those much quicker than I did. Um, the, the irony around those is it was unexplained. Hmm. Nobody ever figured out what the problem was. I went, oh, that's totally explained. I know exactly why. Hmm. Um, because there was a ministry behind that unexplained infertility that just made sense. So yeah, yeah. not just for our family, but for what God's been doing mm-hmm. you know, through you professionally and ministry. Mm-hmm. And but I just one point back to <clears throat> motivations that mm-hmm. we mm-hmm. we want to help people work through is there there is a wave in our country right now that I would just sort of label as social justice, right? Right, and and saving the orphan. You know, and orphans are an easy target of the social justice movement, even in the Christian church. Right? We have just heard many, many, many too many sermons that seem to come from a place of, well, the Bible says we should care for the orphan. That means everybody in our church needs to go out and adopt, okay, right now, let's go do this. And in fact, we have people very close to us who we believe have made the decision to adopt more based on the rescue. A, a sermon they heard mm-hmm. or a rescue, orphan care, mentality and we tend to caution pretty heavily against that mm-hmm. we think the core of of adoption for sure maybe it's a little different in foster care we do believe that there can be a missional service calling to foster care mm-hmm. but if you're going to choose to take a child into your family that's a big deal in fact i'm not a theologian but i'd go as far as saying you know you're creating a covenant relationship mm-hmm. you know similar to marriage and maybe even more covenant than even marriage is, mm-hmm. right? And and if you're going to do that and go that far, your motivations need to be not about just rescuing a child or, boy, if I just love them enough, they'll be they'll be fine. Um, because it's not going to be true. They're going to be hard, and you're going to have to be able to in those hard times lean on the knowledge that this is forever. And that you've done this because you wanted to build a family this way. And that building a family in this way needs to be the foundation of why you choose to adopt. Not to to rescue a kid, not because you like having the little cute mm-hmm. brown baby on your hip because uh, it's socially cool in your networks or at your church. You've got to do it for the right reasons. And we, you know... Honestly, we, we find ourselves counseling and probably should be counseling more families out of adoption than into it at times mm-hmm. because we realize that maybe their motivations aren't 
founded in mm-hmm. in good theology and in good family um, mm-hmm. understanding. So mm-hmm. I don't know if you have different thoughts on that. Or... Well, I would only add that you know motivations and expectations go together, and um, expectations there there's not that perfect expectation. You're not going to be able to align it up perfectly because there's so many variables and how what you're bringing to the table, what your child bringing to the table. So really the best way to walk into expectations is that you've got to change them. And you're going to be changing your expectations from now until 25, 30 years. Right. And that's just the way it is. And so what you expect your child to do in school will change from elementary school to middle school. Mm-hmm. It'll change from your relationship that you have with them when they're cute and cuddly to when they're kind of sassy and irritating. Mm-hmm. And so your expectations just have to be flexible. And that's kind of the best thing to do with that. No, that's great. So both well said, agreeing, because I'm, I'm living that right now. And so as you guys know, uh, you know, Daniel and I, my wife, we've known you guys for five years or so now. Mm-hmm. And y'all have helped us um, navigate some of those things that we just talked about. And obviously, you know, I just looking at my notes here, you guys train other couples, y'all support, y'all take phone calls at probably all hours of the night you, you advocate for for things like this like you said you counsel a lot of people you promote and we could probably add to that list but what compels you guys to move beyond your own family that's enough of a challenge mm-hmm. you know what compels mm-hmm. you guys to to uh, do the things that y'all are doing mm-hmm. and you keep pointing to julie but you do mm-hmm. a lot as well so i'm not letting you off the hook mm-hmm. there okay. Julie's kind of our first foot forward on it, but yeah, it's been interesting how God has woven our personal lives, our ministry lives, and now our career lives both together in Mm. this space. It's been a beautiful, exciting, fun, Mm -hmm. hard Mm -hmm. adventure. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But yeah, do you want to start with? I have an incredible love and respect for family. Mm. I think it's the core of... It's the, it's the breakdown of the family that causes so many other problems in our communities and our societies. And so that love for family, and I think it also comes from just the family of God and how he mm. has interwoven us as non-heirs. Mm-hmm. Now we are. Mm-hmm. But there's that love of family, and then it is by the grace of God that I have the information that I have And I know, for the most part, what it takes to get an orphan to become a son or daughter. Mm -hmm. And that is incredible, powerful, amazing information that I can't not share with other families. That there is a deep connection and relationship and commitment that is transformational. And it has to be, you got to know it. Mm -hmm. We all do. Not just adoptive and foster families. You can see it needed in biological families as well. Uh, I think my, my... Drive comes from a couple places. Um, first, I think it comes from my faith. I mean, I've been a Christian for a long time. I guess kind of argue how long, but for sure since since college or toward the end of college. But I don't know that I ever really fully understood my the power of my relationship with God until we were in the middle of a horribly long waiting process for our first son from Russia. Hmm. And he just spoke to me because it was just, we got into Russia right when things got hard. And what was supposed to be a nine-month round trip became a couple years. Mm -hmm. And we literally kind of watched our son, who we'd met double in age or more, 
languishing in an orphanage and it was just a daily struggle to wake up and deal with that pain of not having him here and God just whispered to me during that period you know he said um, I waited for you for a long time mm -hmm. to become my son mm -hmm. years and years and I would have waited your entire life to your very last day for you to become my son and not only that but I sacrificed everything for you you, you can do this, you know, you can wait a little bit longer. Um, and so that changed me in my faith, in my understanding, my positional understanding of sort of the theology, if you will, of adoption, right? mm -hmm. how we were waited for, sacrificed for, and adopted into God's family motivates me to want to, to do that where I can here on earth, both in my family and helping other families where it makes sense to, to experience that as well. So it, can, it builds faith. It also comes, you know, I lost my dad at um, 16, kind mm -hmm. of suddenly and tragically. And mm -hmm. uh, so I ended up, you know, with a stepfather, but I feel in some ways like I was, you know, orphaned in a, mm -hmm. in a way. And I was old enough to deal with it. You know, I had good supports around me. But when I look at these kids who have been abused, neglected, abandoned, turned over to an orphanage, whatever it is, here or overseas, it just breaks me. Mm -hmm. It just breaks me, in part because I think I just have a tiny taste, you know, of the pain of of separation from a parent, and there is nothing in this world that I can imagine to be more sad and tragic than a child losing their family, uh, losing their opportunity at a childhood. You know, I, I'm so this this concept of childhood, right? This mm -hmm. sort of from four years old to 14 years old are just sweet years that you will never get back short of this side of heaven. In fact, I'm pretty convinced that heaven is going to be basically one big childhood, right? It's just, it's it's gonna, be great. just we're going to all get to be somewhere between four and 14 years old and just do everything without any care in the world and mm -hmm. play all the time. But the, the idea of helping more kids get that back and get the healing they need that's what gets me going and mm -hmm. keeps me up late at night on the couch with Julie figuring out the next strategy for, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. or working with a family or, or finding a way to do it through my career. Right. Um, yeah. That's pretty compelling for me. That is compelling. Mm -hmm. That gives you a pa That's a passion. Mm -hmm. It's not a job. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's good. Well, as we kind of take a few minutes to wrap up, mm -hmm. what would you say to families or what do you want to say to some families that are in those trenches that we've been talking about that are have kids that are coming from a hard place and they're some days they're going to bed at night you know, wondering if they can make it through another day what would, yeah. you, what would you want to say to them you get to talk to them you, you do this <laughs> more than i do well, sometimes on a weekly basis I or have, more frequently I, I, what do you say to I them have, you know, it's going to sound like an easy answer but you need to delight in your kids mm. and i know they're hard and i know sometimes you don't like them but you need, and this is a very specific task, you need to find an activity that they love, that they mm -hmm. will laugh and have fun with. And, um, you know, that may be the trampoline, that may be handing them a hose and just letting them get messy <laughs> or, or whatever you mm -hmm. want to do. And your tendency when you find that great activity that they love is to run back into the house and get some work done. Right. But families need to do this once a day if they can, at least once a week. Just sit in that moment and watch your mm -hmm. kid have fun. Mm -hmm. Grab a Dr. Pepper, sit, and just <laughs> watch them and delight in that because that will be what helps you get up the next day mm -hmm. because you remember that joy. Your child needs to know that 
you delight in them. They desperately need to know that you delight in them. But equally so, you need to feel that delight Mm -hmm. because that's what's going to help you attach and connect to your child is when you you have a happy moment. You have that that joy with them. Delighting in your kid is, um, it's, it's my thing. Go mm-hmm. be playful. Let them get messy. Our little guy, he's, he's also six. You know, he climbed into bed this morning and woke us both up. So of course he's like legs and feet and elbows going mm-hmm. everywhere. And then he said, mom, do you like me better today than you did yesterday? And this is like first wow. thing. I, wow. <laughs> that's what I thought of when you said that. Mm-hmm. Any kid wants to be delighted in. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. That's yeah. amazing. Yeah, and I would say, you know, specifically for dads, I get to talk to dads a lot. Mm-hmm. I mean, one, man, I, I get it. It's hard. It's hard to go to work and hold down. A, there's a reason why we call it work, right? <laughs> it's, it's work and it's hard. And um, and then to, you know, come home and, and deal with, with challenges in your kids. And especially, you know, I've worked with dads, that, you know, older kids. And mm-hmm. when you start to mix hormones and teen pressures with adoption unresolved especially adoption attachment issues oh man i just there's nothing harder than that for a a set of parents and so we have compassion for that and we realize that there you know our kids are our oldest is still 12 and we haven't hit that stage yet there may still be much harder days ahead for us but you know when you can get back to that groundedness like julie said of of delight play Compassion, you know, those are the words mm-hmm. that that come to mind for me. And so I make it an attempt every day to come home and play for some period of time mm-hmm. with one or all of our kids. We get on the carpet and we wrestle and we tickle and we play, even if it's five minutes. It's it's good for them, but it's better for you mm-hmm. to have mm-hmm. that play and 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 compassion. You know, I keep I keep my lock screen and then on my home screen of my phone for years now. I've had two pictures of all taken different times of of all three of my kids and they're old pictures Mm -hmm. they're not pictures from Mm -hmm. last summer's vacation they're pictures from when they were yeah 18 months 20 months Mm -hmm. one year two years old and at some level i find that seeing them at that age helps me remember how innocent they are have compassion for it reminds me of where they came from what they've already been through and overcome and when I, when I can see them through those eyes of compassion, I think it just helps me deal with, you know, the hard stuff of the day and the new challenges and the mm-hmm. harder behaviors and, and things. Delight, play, and compassion are, are three really powerful tools. Oh, that's good. Yeah, I think we could sit and talk for another hour easily. Uh, I want to thank you again for just taking the time to share some of your story yeah. and some of the things that compels you and what your passions are. I appreciate it. Daniel and I feel blessed that our lives intersected with y'all's at the time it did, and uh, we're thankful for that. Likewise, it's been great knowing you guys and and seeing how you've taken your personal story Mm -hmm. uh, well beyond your your home and, and what you're doing here with you know, with this effort and your books. And we're grateful to have you as friends. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You heard Matt and Julie referred to a few times in the interview about how their family story, their passion for family, and also their professional careers have all converged over the last few years. And I want to make sure you get the information about what they're doing uh, professionally because I think you might be interested in learning more. First of all, Matt Corey is the executive director of Mission Capital, which is a nonprofit based in the Austin area. 
that works with individuals and organizations who are mission-driven and helps them accomplish their goals and purpose. And so they work um, a lot alongside other nonprofits and and organizations and individuals to accomplish that. And very Mission Capital has been very instrumental in uh, some collaborative work here in the Austin area in the area of foster care. And then Julie Corey is the executive director of Fostering Hope Austin, which has become a very instrumental organization as well, working with not only the faith community and with foster and adoptive families and supporting them and training them and so on, but also working with the state legislature, placing agencies, CPS, and others to accomplish the goal of doing foster care, foster care well. And so I'll going to give you the information of how you can learn more about those organizations if you don't know about them on my website and you can get straight to the page that where the show notes will be and along with those links uh, to those organizations just go to kennethacamp.com slash episode 23 and it'll take you to that page i really appreciate matt and julie sharing that kind of opening the window or pulling the curtains back a little bit and let us hear some of their story of their adoption uh, journey. And again, as I said at the very beginning, I hope that this compels you and encourages you to think about and consider what your role and your purpose is in caring for children who need a family to come alongside them. So thank you for joining me here at His Hands, His Feet. Until next time. Your motivations need to be not about just rescuing a child or boy if I just love them enough they'll be they'll be fine um, because it's not going to be true they're going to be hard and you're going to have to be able to in those hard times lean on the knowledge that this is forever and that you've done this because you wanted to build a family this way and that building a family in this way needs to be the foundation of why you choose to adopt, not to to rescue a kid, not because you like having the little cute mm. brown baby on your hip because uh, it's socially cool in your networks or at your church. You've got to do it for the right reason 